My dear brethren, a real pleasure to be here with you today. After much traveling, I'm a real pilgrim. <laughs> I thought that as the years went by, I would kind of stop traveling, but it's increasing almost by the day. I ask your prayers. We just returned from Mexico Monday, and I'm going uh, to Europe on uh, the 6th of July. That's next week. It's kind of scary. <laughs> I'm going to see our brethren in Portugal, Spain, France, Switzerland, and Belgium. Tremendous privilege and a very pleasant work to do when you love what you do and you love those that God has put us for us to serve. I was extremely happy with the ordination of Mr. Anthony. I call him Antonio. I got to miss him a lot. Every morning I see his smiling face because we work, we work very close to each other in the office. So congratulations to him and his wife. It made me extremely happy to see that. He certainly exudes sincerity and dedication. Well, dear brethren, here we are, uh, summertime. You know that the worst tests of God's people through history have come in summertime. When you think of fun, that's when the worst trials have come upon God's people. One of them that we know and some people believe was the nine of Ab. Ab is pretty much is the fifth month of the sacred calendar. If we count April as the first one, that would be the month of August, maybe beginning of August. Many believe because it's the time of the, of the harvesting of the grapes. That's the time when God decided to send his people back into the desert for 40 years. A number of tests, a number of trials. And uh, we know by the records we have very precise from the book of Kings and the book of Jeremiah that it was on the 9th of Ab that the first temple was destroyed. And we know that the second temple was also destroyed practically the same date. So we have to be ready for trials, brethren, and that's my purpose to speak today about trials and why does God, does God allow them in our lives. We know many of our brethren are sick, going through very difficult trials. One of them, Mr. Carvajal, in Santiago, Chile. He's been a faithful servant of God for almost 40 years. He's been ordained about five or six years or seven as an elder, and he has faithfully served, but now he's suffering from this diabetic foot. And we are in the Spanish world are going to fast this weekend for his recovery and we ask you brethren to join us with your prayers for Mr. Carvajal. We will deep, deeply appreciate that. Well dear brethren, so speaking of, you excuse me today, I feel a bit tired, too many trips. <laughs> so if I don't have the same kind of enthusiasm, you forgive me. This is my trial today. Brethren, why trials? You know who invented that? Who invented suffering and pain? It was God himself. With what purpose? I think the first thing we need to remember when we're going through a trial, 
through a test, my dear brethren, there is someone up there that knows what suffering is. He probably has suffered more than any human being in history. And he's sitting up there on the third heaven. We can count on him. No matter what, you are going to see that today. He will never allow a trial to go beyond what we can handle. He will give us the strength and the way out. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. I don't have time to analyze today, but you can go to the, in, in your spare time, maybe I say, remembering this message that I present to you just from God's word. Uh, on the book of uh, Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53, is an amazing description of what Christ went through. And although we are far from Passover, like I say, this is a time that often... In the summertime, there are trials that come upon us. So let's start by putting it clear in our heads. There is someone up there that knows what a test is. In chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, you want to go with me there, brethren, if you please. Chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. And verse verse. Chapter 2 and verse 10. I read. Hebrews 2.10. And he says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Remember, this is intimately related to trials. Our future glory. We will not reach there without trials. We see it very clear today. Nobody will escape the trial. Sometimes it's because we have to suffer as a consequence of our own mistakes. But even that is an act of love by the Almighty so we don't do it again. But even if we haven't made serious mistakes, we know we will have to go through trials. You have the example of Joseph. He was the only one who honored his father. He was a faithful and loyal son to Jacob. And he feared God. And he got the envy of his brothers. Maybe, of course, he needed to be polished in his character, like we all do, and learn humility. But he feared God and he fled fornication and adultery. And the result was he ended up probably 10 years in Yale because he was 17 years old when he was sold to the Egyptians. I remember telling my son that story when he was just a little boy, probably five or six years old. He said, Papa, how come he obeys God and that's the reward he gets? He's sent to prison. I had the joy of telling him because I was the first one telling him this story in his life. Wait, my son, this is not the end of the story. And we can say that of every one of us sitting here, no matter what we're going through, this is not the end of the story. And I had great pleasure in telling those stories to him like a tale, like our grandmothers used to say before Mickey Mouse stole the attention of children. 
through television. <laughs> That's the babysitter now. And in many other ways which are really horrible, which I mentioned last time I was here. But let's listen to this. And he says, For it was fitting, Hebrews 2.10, for, for him for whom all things are and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation, listen to this, perfect through sufferings. There you have the definition of the reason why sufferings exist. The purpose is to perfect, to achieve perfection of character. Now, I remember studying this with Dr. Meredith. How can he be perfect if he was God in the flesh? Perfect through sufferings. The wise explanation we receive from God's church is, perfect means complete. Christ had no defects of character. But there was something he had not experienced when he was the word of God sitting from eternity with God. He was the word of God and he was God and he was with God. They did not know what is it to suffer in the flesh. As a human being. They have not experienced that. And they wanted to bring many sons to glory and perfect them through sufferings. But then he himself, you know, offered himself to come, not only to rescue us, but to become a human being like we are, God in the flesh, and suffer in the flesh. So he would go up there, and a new dimension was added to the Godhead. The living experience of one of them having suffered as a human being in his own flesh all the way until death. So he knows that and is up there for our own good. We have that tremendous blessing and absolute certainty that he knows what is to suffer. He experienced it to the utmost a human being could endure. And he overcame. So he was perfect through suffering. That means he was completed. God added to the Godhead a new dimension. The living experience of suffering in the flesh as a human being. Now God has that integrated into his tremendous greatness and divinity. That was a dimension that was missing. It was completed, perfected through Jesus Christ. And then... We're in a little bit further uh, in chapter, let me just verify this here, brethren. So God is giving us a tremendous view and a tremendous hope by his own experience, by his son's experience. And I tell you, the fathers suffer too. I have a son. Many of you are fathers. Abraham played the role of the father. I bet you he will have died ten times instead of his son. So God the Father also suffered when he saw his own son suffering. Now let's look at another one. Yes. In verse 17 of the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 17, then we see the reason why he had to come 
and become flesh and suffer pain in the flesh. In chapter 2 and verse 17, therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Brethren, never forget that when we are going through a trial. We will not escape it. I will prove it to you today, and I know all of you know it. There is no one who has escaped suffering or trials. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, and I also mean tested, he is able to aid those who are tempted and tested. That is the reason why. And then in verse 18, we see the continuation for in that he himself has suffered, been tempted or tested, he is able to aid those who are tempted or tested. Those are absolute words that will stay there for eternity, my dear brethren. Let's go and see one more. In chapter 5 of the same book of Hebrews. Chapter 5 of the same book of Hebrews. And we see in verse 7. Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. What is God telling us? If God himself has to learn obedience, that means by overcoming the flesh as we heard in the sermonette. Wonderful introduction. Thank you, Mr. Anthony. It was a tremendous introduction. He had to learn what is it to obey God's law in the flesh. Because God is not tempted. When he was spirit being, he couldn't be tempted. He was perfect from eternity on to eternity. But he needed to go through the human experience and learn to overcome human flesh. And he did. He set an example for us. He gives us the power to achieve through him like the favorite scripture we know, I don't live, Christ lives in me, and if we let him live in us, we'll overcome everything. Nothing will be able to be in our way. Neither angels, nor demons, nor anything in the universe. Because God's purpose will be fulfilled. So we see, brethren, that God has used testing even from antiquity. We're going to see in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see, my dear brethren, a few examples that God gives to us and how his people, even in the deserts, which are given to us as lessons for our time, they, had, they were tested. Let's go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you please. Deuteronomy Chapter 8. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe 
that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you, here it is, all the way these 40 years, time of test, time of trial, and we are being led now through the wilderness of this world, like Mr. Armstrong used to say, in the wilderness to humble you, humble you. So test perfects us and humble us so that God can dwell in us because he will resist the proud. He will not be one with the proud. So this is the first thing we, ne- we need to learn through tests and trials. To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And we all, many of us here, have gone through several tests of the church of God. God allowed an apostasy to come. He needed to know if those that had been called were going to keep his commandments or not. And sad to say, most of them, probably most of them, did not. So we're seeing the same drama today in our days, and many of us have lived it. And then we have to go through another one in the global church of God. But here we are thriving, thanks to the results of these tests. So, verse 3, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna. So God allowed them to hunger. He himself is saying that. He caused them to suffer. He wanted to know what was in their hearts. And fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That's the strength that gives us to keep going in the desert and in the trials. Is the word of God. If we are not fed with it, like it was also mentioned in the sermonette, we will not have the strength to endure. That's the fuel, that's the food that led us to continue and and endure until the end. Your garments did not wear out on you. That means God was watching even to the slightest details. Even if he allows people to suffer, his eyes are still watching. And he took care of them, although he led them to have hunger. Sometimes he didn't starve them, but he let them have hunger and thirst to test them. But he was taking care of them. We're going to see that repeated by the Apostle Peter a little bit later on. Did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. That's amazing. How God was testing them, he was taking care of them at the same time. He's doing the same with us today. He will never forsake us. He will never neglect us. So you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. We're going to see that in the book of Hebrews in a moment. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So all what he wants is to perfect our character so our minds and hearts are in tune and in harmony with the, his law, which expresses his character. Verse 15, let's see a little bit more. Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents 
and scorpions and thirst and thirsty land where there were no water who brought water for you out of the rock of flint. You know, when God tests us, he teaches us we need to depend on him. What did David learn? Seven or ten years with his life, one step from death like he did to Jonathan. If I did something wrong, kill me right now. What is my fault? What did I do? For he had to learn to depend on God day and night. And he was tested. And although he sinned, he repented. He's going to be in God's kingdom. It's predicted right here in this word. But you look at Solomon. Solomon was not tested. That's an amazing thing. At least, apparently, he wasn't tested. He didn't make it. Think of Lucifer. He received his glory, his power, his wisdom, his beauty, his intelligence for free. At the time of his creation, he wasn't tested. And he didn't make it. So God wants to make sure we make it. Think of Saul. The first king of Israel. Apparently he was not tested. And he didn't make it. So we should be glad for our trial and test like James says. The only purpose to teach us to endure. So we can learn what we need to learn. So the glory of God's kingdom will not destroy us. God wants to test us now to see who are faithful and what is little. And that's an amazing mathematical formula. If we are faithful in what is little, that's good enough for God to know we'll be faithful forever in big things. And you see, the rich and famous of this world, when they suddenly achieve great fame and fortune, probably most of them are destroyed by those two things, my dear friends. So the trials are just one more manifestation of God's love for us. So the blessings he has in reserve for us will not destroy us. He needs to test us now in little things. So we'll be faithful forever in big things. Who fed you in the wilderness, verse 16, with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you. To you, listen to this, to do good in the end. Why was Joseph tested? He was going to become the prime minister of the number one power on earth in his time. Why was David tested? He was going to be the highest king on the face of the earth. He never lost a battle. And nobody, after he was established in his kingdom, there to challenge the power of Israel under King David. And he's going to come back to life and live forever. So, the whole purpose again, brethren, to do you good in the end. There it is for us, right there. The only purpose to perfect our character, to, good, to do good to us in the end. Let's go back to the book of... Now, let's go, let's go for... I want you to have something in mind. Uh, but let's go to the book of Hebrews first, and then we're going to see how Paul talks about after presenting Christ as our pioneer who's been tested in all things without sin and who is there to help us to overcome. Let's look at the book of Hebrews 
And we're going to see what is directed to us here. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Chapter 12. After he speaks to us of Christ as the one who was tested beyond what probably any human has been tested and endured and is there to help us, let's read chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we have surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he just finished chapter 11, where he gives us all those that have overcome, and they are witnesses, they cheering us in our race, like they are sitting on the bleachers and saying, go, we made it, you can make it. That's that, the meaning of that wonderful chapter and the words Christ is using here. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which is easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance. Remember, if we don't endure until the end, we will not be there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember that, for the joy that was put before him. He was able to see through the terrible trial he was doing, the tremendous victory, and the wonderful, amazing achievement of what he and his father had planned before time was. And this was absolutely essential for the achievement and the triumph of their project, which is going now in full success, my dear brethren. He wants us to be a success. That's what he's testing us today. Now let's look at verse 3 of chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12:3. For consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So he's our example. He is up there, ready to help. Will never allow us to go through something we cannot take. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Remember it was mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, nobody escapes, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we pay them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirit and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chasten us as seem best to them. But he, for our profit, remember, that's the purpose, that we may be partakers of his holiness. That's the whole purpose. We should never lose track. Of that. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, he yields, you see, at the end, is for good. He yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet for that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. So that's a tremendous advice. Now, we're going to see a promise. I want you to keep in mind, and you all know that, First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, we have an absolute promise from God that also helps us to have courage and never, never faint in our race towards the kingdom of God. Chapter 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians. It says in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, temptation, and also means trial or test, has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Let's remember this, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is an absolute promise. And then we start having a picture that will help us overcome any trial, my dear brethren, any trial. And I kind of tremble when I say that because I don't know what expecting me as my next trial. Sometimes when we finish a trial, we enjoy the fruit of peacefulness and, and joy. And sometimes I say to myself, get ready for the next one. <laughs> so he is doing a tremendous work with us. So we have that tremendous promise. He will never allow anything to go beyond what we can bear. He will, he's faithful. He's putting his faithfulness, faithfulness on the line. So we can claim that with all confidence, my dear brethren. Now let's look at the way God, uh, the tremendous analogy he uses to test us. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 17 and verse 3. Book of Proverbs, chapter 17 and verse 3. The refining pot is for silver. That's the crucible, you know. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace... For gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. We already know what's the purpose? To perfect those hearts, to bring us to glory. And gives us the support of his own son and he himself who listens to him. And the promise, he will never let that fire go beyond what we can take. The fire of test. We're going to see that this figure of the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold is used over and over. Let's go to chapter 66 of the book of Psalms. My dear brethren, chapter 66 of the book of Psalms. And we read in verse 10, 66 and verse 10, and we find the following, chapter 66 and verse 10 of the book of Psalms. It says, for you, O God, have proved us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Just like it says in the book of Proverbs. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. 
but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Always the end of a test. You have read it in Deuteronomy. We read it in Hebrews. We read it here is to be able to bless us. So blessings will not destroy us. He wants to solidify our character with humility and strength coming from him so we can take the blessings that he's preparing for us. There you have it. He says, you brought us out to rich fulfillment. And we're going to see a few other uh, analogies that you can find in the book of Zechariah, and it comes exactly to the same type of analogy. Chapter 13 of the prophet Zechariah, and we're going to read Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. This is for the great tribulation, we think. But one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. We will come through an intense test that is coming upon the 12 tribes of Israel, and frankly, in a way, upon the whole world, too. So there will be a people ready to accept, although they will fight Christ, but they will finally be willing to accept his rule for 1,000 years until he resurrects the rest of them. Now let's look at the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3, and we continue on this same analogy. Malachi, chapter 3, and verse 3. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Again, what's the end? To perfect. The refining will produce a heart that will be acceptable to God, where the laws of God are written in their, mind, in their minds and hearts, and there is integrity and holiness, and he will accept an offering in righteousness thanks to the trial and the test, perfecting the character. Now, many of you know the story of three ladies that used to sit together and do Bible study. And they read the scripture. They said, how does this happen? So one of them told them, I know a man in town who is a silversmith. He's a refiner of silver. Maybe I go and ask him, how does he refine silver? So she was committed. They gave him the commission, and she went to the silversmith in town. And she, come in, she came in and asked, sir, how do you refine silver? And he told her, I have to sit down. And she was quite surprised because he said, here, he will sit as a refiner. 
I have to sit down and keep my eyes constantly on the metal, always, and have a control of the intensity of the fire. Because there are two things. If the fire is too intense, or I leave it longer than it should be, it will spoil the metal. So my eyes have to be always fixed on this metal so it doesn't spoil, so I don't lose the precious metal. And the lady was quite impressed. Then she started walking out, and suddenly she thought of something, and she turned around and asked, Sir, but how do you know when you have to stop the fire and that the fire has given the type of refinement you need. And he said, when I see my face reflected on the metal, I know it is ready. One more proof. God is transferring his character to us through trials. That's an amazing statement. When his character is reflected in his child, he would never let it go beyond what he can take. And the trial will have succeeded. Now I remember what Dr. Meredith said to us last year during the ministerial conference in the month of May. And there is a man speaking who is going through a terrible trial, who has been an athlete all his life, a champion, and see his abilities handicapped. Thank God, not his mental ability, not his ability to write, but his ability to move. And I, I heard him saying that, and I was deeply moved. I have never heard him complain. I was one of the first ones to talk to him after that trial came upon him. You know what he said? Mario, I want to learn every lesson God wants me to learn with this trial. That's the only thing I have heard him say. And he said to all of us, the ministry, the Nether Hilda Hotel, Learn every lesson God wants you to learn. Ask him to show you. Number one. Number two. Pass the test. Remember, there are people that don't pass the test. People get bitter and even blaspheme God. And they don't pass the test. They give up. And number three. Never give up. That sticks very clear in my head, my dear brethren. Now let's go to the book of James. And we're going to see this image of the furnace in marvelous, functioning in a marvelous way. Book of James. Okay, let's go to the book of James, chapter 1. And I think now we have enough background to understand why he says what he says here. 
In chapter 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I think we know now that every trial has a purpose to perfect our character for the blessings and the glorification that we cannot even fathom yet that is expecting us. God is preparing us for the success for eternity. That's what Paul said. A little trial that lasts, you know, a few days, once you are into eternity, will be like nothing. And the results will be there. And the pain will be forgotten forever when Christ wipes out the tears from the eyes of everybody that has been subject to, to trials. But here it says, chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So we are being prepared for amazing blessings. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, that means endurance. God is teaching us to endure until the end, until his work is done in our character. But let the patience have its perfect work. What does that mean? In the, in the Revised Standard Version says, have its full effect. That's exactly what the silversmith told the lady. The trial has to last a certain time. Cannot go beyond that because it will spoil. The person won't be able to take it. And the intensity has to be of a certain degree. And he said, let patience have its full effect. That means let's be patient. Let's not try to get out of a trial when God has not taken out of there yet. And sometimes we're in, we're in a trial, there's no way out. It's like we are inside a furnace. He knows when to take us out. That's why he said it might last a certain time. God knows how long. He is the silversmith. He's watching it. We have to trust him. Let patience have its perfect work. Like I said, the Revised Standard Version. It's full effect until the trial perfects that trait of God's character he wants in us. Like when the silver reflects the face of the silversmith. But lay patience have its perfect work. Once again, its full effect. Let's read what continues. That you may be perfect. There it is. That God will transfer his holiness and his perfection unto us. That's the purpose. That you may be perfect and complete. That's the purpose. Lacking nothing. Amazing. That's exactly what God wants to do with us. And that's why we have to be joyful when trials come. Although Paul acknowledges in chapter 12, as we saw in the book of Hebrews, no trial seems to be pleasant at present when we're going through it. But when we know the purpose of it, it helps us tremendously. Because we're not blind. We know where God is headed with us, and we just have to trust him. Now, let's go to the book of Peter. Since they are all linked together, Hebrews, James, Peter, they are all speaking of the same subject here in a way, yeah, amazingly. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. And it says, 
verse 5. Let's start in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. There it is. That's the end of it. Ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. There it is. It tests. God doesn't put through a test overnight. It lasts a little while because he has to be long enough on the crucible for the purity to come, for the impurities to come out and for the perfection of the character. That you, in this you greatly rejoice, though you now for a little while, if need be, you see, God knows. You have been grieved by various trials. All the perfecting of the character. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. There you have it again. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Perfection. His wife will be ready at any cost. If it takes the great tribulation, let it be. It will be ready. And he will never allow anyone to go beyond what he can take. Remember that. And now let's look at another one here in this same epistle in chapter 4 and verse 12. Chapter 4 and verse 12 of the same epistle of Peter. Beloved, here it is. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery, once again, the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Sometimes we're baptized and soon after, wow, that comes the first test. Or sometimes we say, what did I do? Remember, we're surprised. Remember, David asked that question to Jonathan, his beloved friend. What did I do? Why am I going through this? If I did something wrong, you just kill me. Right now, here I am. You know the amazing thing, brethren? Even if we haven't done anything, we still need the trial. I'm going to prove it to you. Let's go to chapter 18 of the book of Psalms. Chapter 18. Book of Psalms, chapter 18. And here this, one of my favorite songs, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, remember, this lasted probably Ten years. I don't know. Maybe someone knows. Or seven years. But ten is the number of judgment. We know David, when he went to meet Goliath, he was not even 20 years old. That's why he didn't go with his brethren to war. Because in Israel, you have to be 20 years old to draw the sword. So he was less than 20. He entered into the service of Saul probably for three years. 
I don't know. Maybe someone can explain that to me, but we know it was not a long time. But he had to flee probably for 10 years. What did he learn? He learned to depend on God. He built that faith because day and night he said to, 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 to Jonathan, there is but one step between me and death. Whom did he have to trust? We're going to see that in a moment, how that will mature our character. As we have to seek God, he forces us to seek him. When we're on a trial, we have no other way to go. If we, are, we have God's Holy Spirit, we know we have to go and seek him, seek the refuge in God. Like David said over and over in 150 Psalms, you find that. Hide me under, the wing, under your wings. I will hide in you until the troubles are past. You have to constantly come to God. You see the titles of the songs? Why are they there? The circumstances in which he wrote those psalms. That could be a study we could make. I don't have time for that now, but it's a, a tremendous. There you have proved that he was learning to depend on God day and night. He had no other rock, no other refuge. He couldn't trust himself. He couldn't trust practically anyone but God. And that's what God wants us to learn through trials. So listen to this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Verse 1. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He learned. It became a reality for him. There was no other way, no other place to hide. Now, look at the interesting thing here. David had not done anything to deserve, humanly speaking, that type of trial if we think that trials come just because are a consequence of our sins. No, God is teaching us something here. He needs to perfect us even if we haven't made grievous sins. Here is the proof. Chapter 18, you saw that the, the title, it says, when he delivered him from all his enemies. Why he delivered him? He didn't deliver him from the trial. In the end, he delivered him from his enemies. But he had learned something. But let's read this in chapter 18 and verse... In verse 19. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord, verse 20, rewarded me according to my righteousness. He wasn't paying for his sins. Let's look at this. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. You see? And he went through probably 10 years of trial and testing. He hadn't done anything. You were going to think it's only come because of sin. No. God uses that system to perfect our character. No matter what, we need to learn his holiness even if we behave well in life, we yet we don't have yet the character of God. It only comes through trials. 
Think of Joseph, the same case. He was a well-behaved young man. He ended up obeying God and ended up in prison, probably the same time, 10 years probably. David was 30 when he became king of Israel, and Joseph was 30 when he became the prime minister of Egypt. But his character was ready, and he made it all the way to the end until he was, he was 110 years old. And he saw his children and grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. He had a tremendous, wonderful, beautiful life because God prepared him so he could take the blessings and those will not destroy him. Like it was in the case of Solomon, who had not been tested. So God is preparing us. And now, if you look at Psalm 38, that's another matter. David is speaking of the consequences of the sin he committed. And even that is also the love of God. So nobody can say, what did I do to receive, to deserve what I'm going through? David hadn't done anything. Even Job, remember, his friends were there accusing him constantly. He could, they could not find anything he had done in breaking God's law. The book of Job. And God told Job, I had to pray for these guys before I hit them on the head. Because they didn't know how to speak of me and of you. They were wrong. They said, you must have done something wrong. And Job said, I haven't. He said, yes, you have. No, I haven't. <laughs> Only God knew there was, of course, an element of self-righteousness, which is declared clearly, I think, on chapter 32. Anyway, he says, Job was righteous in his own eyes. God needed to take that away so he could have a dwelling in his heart. And he would become a temple of God's spirit. But he was righteous in his own eyes. That was the problem. But they could not find anything wrong with him. And God put, the, you will see that terrible trial. He needed to perfect his character to humble him so God could dwell in him and he would be in the kingdom of God. Only after going through that trial. But when you read chapter 38, my, that's scary stuff. It is also the love of God. It is also a trial, but this time it's because of sin. So you have the two perspectives there, no one will escape. We read in book of Proverbs, you know, the crucible is for the silver and, and the furnace for the gold, and God will test the hearts, no matter what. So if you behave very well in life, don't think that because of that, nothing is going to happen to you. God is going to test us, even if we have behaved correctly, because that doesn't give us the character of God. Only through sufferings we learn it like Christ himself was God, and he had to learn to obey through trials. So here we have it. Let's read a little bit of Psalm 38, and you know this is because of sin. And so we have the two sides of the story here. It says, O Lord, chapter 38 of the book of Psalms, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor is there any health in my bones because of my sin. So God will bring us to trials because of our sins too. But let's not ever think that's the only reason, because then we will go wrong, and we don't understand why trials. For my iniquities have gone over my head. 
It's probably a disease that he is not in the book of Samuel, that he gets so sick. You read this psalm, it's scary. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are forward and festering because of my foolishness. This is very different from what we read in Psalm 18. He said, I kept myself from my iniquity. I did everything right in his eyes, and he recompensed me. He prepared me to give me the kingdom of Israel. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, and all my sign is, be, is no hiding from you. It's no hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, I also, it also has gone for me. So you can read again, and he will repeat, it's because of his sins. So God is love. He will correct us. He will teach us. Even if we don't sin, and if we sin, he will do it too. So we don't do it again. So... That's, that's a very important perspective. Let's go again to the book of Peter, and we're going to see one of the effects of trials. Chapter, we already read chapter 4 and verse 12, I think, that something strange happened to us. Uh, beloved, do not think, 4.12, it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That's why I went to the book of 18, chapter 18 of the book of Psalms. Because sometimes you say, what in the world did I do? That everything is coming down on me. So that's why I went there. You know, David was tested. Ten years, he hadn't done anything to deserve it. God was just preparing him to perfect his character and give him the kingdom. But rejoice in the, in, to the extent, verse 14, 1 Peter 4, 14, that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There you have always the end result is a tremendous blessing. Now let's go to chapter 5 of the same book and verse 6. 5 and verse 6. And he says, Therefore, humble yourselves, then we read in Deuteronomy, it says, I tested you, I made you hunger, hungry and thirsty to humble you. To remind us, you are dust of the earth. That's all what we are. Humble comes from humility. Humility comes from humus in Latin, which means dirt. So a humble person is a person that is aware that he or she is but dirt of the earth. That's humility. It's a sound perception of reality, my dear friends. And in trials where we see ourselves helpless, we realize we are but dust of the earth. That's the only way we can be pleasing to God because he will exalt the humble to his own glory. That's what he wants. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And what is he, Dr. Mary, doing? You know, he humbles himself until God decides what he's going to do. And we're going through a trial. Let's acknowledge God's hand and say, Father, here I am. I will wait on you. 
until you decide to take me out of this. It will be his decision. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Once again, the trial will teach us humility and many other things we need to learn. What's the end result? To exalt us. Those that are humbled will be exalted. And trials certainly teach us humility like no other thing. When we start trying to be humble by ourselves, we'll end up like Benjamin Franklin, who is I'm going to develop traits of character. I'm going to be truthful. And he will always say the truth. He said, boy, I achieved it. I'm going to be diligent. He will get up early in the morning before dawn. And he was able to achieve diligence. I'm going to be loyal. He was able to achieve loyalty. And then he said, I'm going to be humble. And he worked and worked on humility. And he said, boy, I ended up being proud of my humility. <laughs> so there is one method that doesn't fail. It's trials. When we are tested, we know and we experience we are dust of the earth. And then reality comes to us. It comes from God. He is humble. Christ said, learn from me, who, is, who I'm humble and of a meek heart. Now it says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. What do you read in the book of Psalms? What was David doing? What was his only refuge? His only rock? The trials will teach us to cast all our care upon God. It will teach us to depend on God. It will teach us to develop the faith of Jesus Christ. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That means, like in the desert, you see everything fits. He made them be hungry and thirsty. He didn't let their feet to swell. And he let their clothes grow with them and never go old. And he would never starve them. After a while, he would bring water out of the rock or something, but he would never let it go beyond what they could take. But they couldn't take it because the character was not trusting God, my friends. And they would go into murmuring, and you know, they didn't pass the test, many of them. Now, what is one of the results of testing, of trials? Let's read 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we'll see another analogy that will help us, like the crucible and the furnace and the fire. What happens when we are in a trial? When we're in a trial, we are forced to seek God. I bet you when we are going through a trial, we fast more often. If we have good sense, at least if we are learning something, we will fast more often. We will pray more often, probably three times a day, probably seven times a day, probably at night. We'll be begging God. We'll be looking for God. And look what happens. How God will use that to transform our character when he brings us to his presence. Here is chapter 3 of the book of Second Corinthians and verse 18. And here we have a beautiful analogy similar to the one we were reading about the, the furnace for the silver. Chapter 3, verse 18 of Second Corinthians. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That means when we pray, 
We know we have access to the third heaven. We have access to the presence of God. We can perceive his presence like in a mirror. We won't see his presence and his face like it, it, because no human will see him and live, but we will perceive him through the spirit. But trials will force us to seek God more often than ever. And he says, uh, the glory, but we with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. There it is. What happened to the silver? When the silver reflected the face of the silversmith, it was time to get it out. The purpose of the test had been fulfilled. Here, when we're being tested, what do we do? We seek God. If we have good sense, we're going to seek God. And we will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That means when people do not pray, God forces them to pray because otherwise there is no spiritual growth. People that don't study, that don't pray, do not fast, do not meditate, and do, don't put to work what they learn or what we learn. I'm one of them. I'm on the list. There is no spiritual growth. Christ says, in that you bear much fruit, my Father will be glorified. So the tests will force us to seek the face of God, and through prayer, we were transformed into the same image, like the silver is transformed and purified until they reflect the face of the silversmith. And you can find the book of Psalms over and over how David seeked God's face. Psalm 27, Psalm 119, Psalm 88, all over the place. Although 88 is not from David, it's a, I think it's Asaph. So, but that theme goes over. Why? Because the, if we change the analogy for a second, instead of the metal, we are plants too. How does a plant grow? How does a fruit get ripe and ready to the sunshine? And it says here that we seek God's face and we're transformed from glory to glory into the same image. I was, I used to live in San Diego. It was, I was surrounded by a little garden of Eden. There were fruits there. And no apples and peaches and oranges, these navel oranges. And I could tell them being transformed, if you want, from glory to glory. The color would be coming from deep green until they were amazingly this orange, beautiful color. And then they would smell good, even in the tree. And the color was beautiful, and, and, and they smell good, and they taste good. That's how we should be when we mature through trials. And they are... If there were not a sun shining upon those fruits in California, they would never get ripe. In the face of God, we don't seek him, brethren, even in trials or out of trials. We will not mature to be fruitful in the spirit and produce joy and peace, things that are pleasant to those that are around us. That's the purpose of trials, my dear brethren. And let's continue here and conclude with the beautiful statement of the Apostle Peter. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, and he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We also see trials are to humble us, to teach us what we are, so God can make us of us what he wants to do. That he may exalt you in due time. Once again, the metal will be reflecting his character. It will be out of the furnace, out of the trial, will be over. 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Already so many examples, if you read the book of Psalms, there are plenty of them, how David learned to have this intimacy with God because of the trials. And uh, we cast our care upon him, we seek him, we are transformed from glory to glory into the same image, as we saw in Second Corinthians. 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, people that get bitter. My friends, in a trial, the devil will use that immediately. You better believe it. So we have to be careful. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, here we go, are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. All those that will be in the fellowship as spirit beings, like he was said in the opening prayer. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace, who called us, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. Again, same sub, same figure. Perfect. There you go. Establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen.